Samuel by becoming priest, right? Samuel is the priest. He's the one that consecrates the sacrifices. He's the one that leads the sacrifices. And we see that right here because he's like, we're going to do the sacrifice. And also we're going to get Jesse involved. Get me Jesse and his sons so we can worship and sacrifice together, right? So Jesse shows up with his sons in verse six here. It says, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So like I said, in this passage, we've seen that God cares. We've seen that he works. But now we see, I told you these are simple points tonight. We see that God sees. We see that God sees. We learn this by what God says to Samuel when it comes to identifying the next king of Israel, right? So Samuel sees one of David's brothers, presumably the, the oldest, Eliab. He sees one of David's brothers. And it doesn't say what Eliab looked like, besides like maybe he was tall because the Lord's like, don't be fooled by his height. That's pretty much what, what he says there. But might have been tall, but whatever it was, Samuel thinks, oh, this is the guy. This is the guy that's going to be king. You know, maybe it was because Saul was this really tall, really handsome guy. And something about Eliab made Samuel think like, oh, this guy looks like Saul. Like he looks like he could be a king. Whatever it was, Samuel's thinking like, this is the guy. And the Lord, he doesn't reprimand Samuel. He doesn't like discipline him, but he does have a teaching moment with Samuel, right? He's like, hey, no, because I'm not looking at the appearance. I'm not looking at what you see. I'm looking at what I see. God, God doesn't see like man sees. God sees like God sees. Man is, is captured by the, by the outward appearance, right? While God is interested in the condition of man's heart, meaning he's interested in his character, in his emotions, his will, his soul. You know, when, when Scripture says heart, there's this understanding that it's the center of your being. It's who you are. That's what scripture means by the heart. So this should remind us. This should remind us of a lot of things. One of the things is that Jesus actually taught like this exact same principle several, several times that, that God is looking on the heart and not the outward appearance. Like just to give you an example, Matthew 23, you don't need to turn there. You might be familiar with it, but uh, it's one of the many times that Jesus goes toe to toe with the Pharisees and the scribes. And at this particular one, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, and then he says, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. So if you don't know what he's talking about in Jerusalem, especially on the edge of the city, they have all of these tombs that are family tombs that are lining the streets and, and uh, lining the entrances, and they're painted white, they're whitewashed white, and when the sun shines on them, they glisten, and they look beautiful and gorgeous, and it makes Jerusalem look magnificent. Right? Like it's, it's a really beautiful site. If anyone's been there, um, I haven't been there, but lots of people like to brag about it. Calvin bragged about it at one point when he went there. Um, so I'm getting off track now. Anyway, so they're beautiful, right? This is what Jesus is describing. He's describing these whitewashed tombs, but then he says they appear beautiful, but within they're full of dead bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous. He's talking to the Pharisees. You appear righteous to others but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus, as God in flesh, 
also reveals that instead of the outward appearance like of the Pharisees, God is seeing the heart of man. And their hearts are no better than the, the rotting dead corpses that lie within the tombs. So I think you're, you're seeing this already, right? And, and at, at this moment, I'd say this is a pretty devotional thought. You could sit down at your seat group or in a Bible study, and, and this part was like, yeah, I get it. Like, that's a Sunday school truth. God sees the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. But I want to take it just even a little bit further tonight because I, I want to talk about some of the misconceptions that we have at God looking at the heart. Some of the things that we think it means for God to look at the heart. Here, here's what I mean. Many of us, we could walk away from this text right now with a notion that when we say God sees the heart of man, that what we mean is that he sees our inward actions or our future actions or our potential to live up to what we think he might have for us. Like, for example, it would be easy to think that as Samuel is going through and finding this king to anoint, right, that God is looking at the heart of each man and that what he's doing, he's going to be looking at what they could accomplish, what kind of godliness they could perform, what kind of great godly representation they might be to Israel. That It's easy for us to assume that and think that, and far too often we act like that, right? We act like what God is seeing is some potential us. Some us that we could be if we followed him better. Some us that we could be if we loved him better. Some us that we could be if we studied the Bible better, acted better, did better, loved better, if we were more godly, if we were more righteous, if we were more sanctified. We have this concept that God sees us for our future worth or our future potential or our future contribution to the kingdom of God as a, as a factor in choosing to love us or choosing to save us. Like we have this concept that somehow salvation was earned and, and we might say it with our lips all the time, right? I didn't do anything to earn salvation. We'll say it. And we do mean it, right? Salvation does not lie in us. We did not do it. And we will say that, but underneath, a lot of times what we're really thinking is like, yeah, but there's all these things that I'm going to do for God, and that's why he saved me. The potential that I'm going to live up to. To that, I'd say, what about David? Like, we're going to see that David has chosen as king. That's the whole point of the series. It's called King David. He's, he's going to be anointed king. What does David do? He hasn't done them yet. He's about to commit adultery. He's about to murder a man. He's about to let his son get away with raping and murdering someone. And some few other things. You know, it said in, in 1 Samuel 13... You don't have to turn there, but we read it last week. Samuel told Saul, and he was rejecting him as king, he said, the Lord is going to raise up a man after his own heart. He's talking about David. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept the Lord, the word the Lord commanded you. Like That's what he says to Saul. So it says in Scripture that David is a man after God's own heart. And then what we see is that Samuel is told that God is looking at the heart when determining the king, right? So, so if we put these two things together, 
The Lord is seeking someone after his own heart, and also he's evaluating the hearts of the men that could be king. What do we understand? We understand that David's heart is God's heart. That David's heart broke for what broke God's heart. That David loved the things of God. That David worshipped God. That he sincerely loved God. That he wanted to glorify God the way the Lord wanted to be glorified. But let's keep on thinking about this, right? Let's, let's come back to the idea of like, well, what was in David's heart? Because we know that he was about to do all these things, right? So how? How can we say that David had this heart after God? And how can you say that man looks at the heart when we know that David is about to do all these things? That's my point exactly, guys. My point exactly is that the question comes up, how can David be a man after God's own heart when he's going to be the type of guy to do adultery and murder? How can he be that man? We ask that, but the whole point is, the whole point is that your heart is not what you're going to do. The heart is not who you're going to become. Right? The heart is your character and soul and mind and emotion that sincerely loves and desires the Lord. What did Saul do? Saul, a couple times, he was rejected by God for it, right? All he did, let's, let's compare David and Saul just for a second, right? David, what is he about to do? Murder, adultery, laziness, lack of judgment, okay? All things that we're going to see on his part. What, what did Saul do? He didn't kill a few animals because he wanted to sacrifice them to God for worship, right? We talked about good intentions last week. Sounds like a good intention, Hey, I'm not going to kill these ones. I know God told me to, but I'm going to worship him with them, so it's going to be okay. Like, that's his concept. So which one sounds worse? Murder and adultery or not killing a few cows? In our hearts, minds, we'd say, well, the murder and adultery sounds worse, right? But the difference is, how did they respond to being called out on these things? Why did they do them in the first place? And how did they act afterwards? And what we're going to see time and time again as we start this study in King David is that David is the man that repents. David is the man that worships God. David is the man that desires to be with God. David is the man that pleads with God for his spirit not to leave him because he knows that he doesn't deserve it. That's King David. And what Saul does is he goes and just does it again and treats God's word flippantly like he doesn't care. All that to say, I know this is the longest and biggest point, but all that to say is when we say that God sees, we mean that he sees you and who you are, not what you're going to do, not who you're going to be, but he sees you, not in part, but in whole. He knows you, every aspect of you. There is no impressing him. There is no earning affection and love through good deeds. There is who you are and him choosing you. God sees. We see it in the New Testament. We've preached it all the time. And you can see it right here that the same God is at work in history. And when he chooses David, he proves that he's the God that sees. He cares cares for his chosen, he works in them and through them, and he truly sees them for who they are. All right, let's hit the last point together tonight. Let's finish the passage out. First Samuel 16, 
Start in verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass. But you know, I have to practice these names sometimes when I'm working. Anyway, so. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. David's a shepherd. We'll get to that in the future. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So in case you're wondering, as a side note, ruddy. If you don't know what that means, it means to have a healthy color, like think of it like rosy cheeks, right? Well complected. It's this idea of, of looking uh, healthy and nourished and, and well taken care of. So it, it turns out that David is handsome, actually, right? Like God's like, no, I look on the inner appearance, but David's also handsome. So that, that's a thing. It says he's ruddy, he had beautiful eyes, and he was, was handsome. But I mean, clearly it pointed out that that's not why the Lord chose him. The Lord didn't choose him for that reason. He was looking at the heart. We see he chose him and he raised him up because that's who he wanted. In this passage, King David is being anointed. And we begin this story, we, we see this last point. And it's that God indwells. God cares, God works, God sees. And last point, God indwells. And it'll come up at some point. Look back at the verse there. The very end of the verse that we had, it says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Why am I bringing this up? Why did I choose to focus on this one part as we ended our time here? Well, I've tried to show you time and time again, right, that the big theme of, of tonight is the God of the Old Testament. It's the same as the God of the New Testament, right? And one of the things I want to show you is that God has signatures, guys. I want you to think of maybe, maybe you like art or maybe you like music or maybe you, you, know, you have something you like to follow. Maybe it's even a company, right? Think of your, your favorite thing and I want you to think about what makes the stuff they create all sort of the same, right? So like artists, they all have a signature about them. You can tell when a certain artist painted a certain thing. They have a, a, a signature that goes across them. How can you look at a phone and know it's an Apple product? Because they have a signature about them. They have a look about them. They have a way that they do things. Well, just like any artist has a signature, God also has signatures. God also has things that he does across time and history and the way that he works, right? Look at the commonalities between the things that God has created. Look at the fact that we can have veins and plants can have veins, right? Look at water clouds and molecules and, and the way that water shapes elsewhere in the world. Like God has signatures that he uses that sort of sign it like this is God, right? The same is here. One of the signatures of God and his people is indwelling them with the Holy Spirit. 
to be in them and among them and to help them and equip them and empower them to do his work and his will. And one of the places we see that signature is right here with King David. One of the things that we see that God does all the time in the New Testament for us as believers who have accepted Christ and put our faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior, like for us that are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, what we see right here is already like a prelude, like a foreshadowing that God indwells those who he chooses and anoints. We're going to see it a lot. David actually has so many similarities to Christ and the things that we're going to get to read about in the coming times. And one of the things that connects us right now is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus brought to us. I also wanted to bring it up because one of the other themes of tonight's passage is just understanding our relationship with God, right? The way that he sees us, the way that he works with us, the way that he is in us and and, and cares for us. And I want you to understand, I want you to appreciate and worship the fact that we have the same Holy Spirit that indwelled the king of Israel. Not every man and woman got the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. God's few chosen who were to do his kingdom work among his people through the course of history were indwelled with the Spirit. And I want you to understand just how precious of a gift the Holy Spirit is within us. Because the Lord is so chosen that we would be indwelled with the Holy Spirit upon salvation. It says that the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation, right? It's the signature of God to say, saved, mine, inheritance coming in heaven. Like, that is what the Holy Spirit is within us. And I want you to understand the precious gift it is. Because not everyone received it. And now, all those who come to Christ receive it. Right? The Spirit that guided King David, in his work for the kingdom of God, is the spirit that guides us in our work for the kingdom of God. You know, it says in the Gospel of John that the spirit is the great helper. The great helper of accomplishing God's work. And that's what we get to have as well. So, yes, there's a lot of things I could have chosen in this passage to focus on. But I wanted you to already begin seeing the connections between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. I wanted you to start beginning to see your relationship with God and all the things that sort of point to our relationship in Christ that we already see in King David. And mostly, I want you to begin worshiping God better because of it. That's your application for tonight, guys. You know I love to give you application points. My prayer and hope is that when we gather together for worship on Sunday mornings, when we gather together on Thursday nights, that when we sing about the Spirit, when we sing about God loving us and freeing us and choosing us, that when we look at passages like this, even though they're in the Old Testament and they're harder to understand, that we would have a richer worship of who God was because of our understanding of how precious He treats us even when we don't deserve it and how He chose us and indwelled us when we didn't deserve it. And how he chooses us not based on future actions, but for who he chooses. So that's my prayer. My prayer is that in the anointing of David, and at the beginning of our stories, we're diving into him over the next several weeks, and we hit up David and Goliath next week, and all those things. I pray that you increase in your worship and appreciation of who he is. He's a God who cares, he's a God who works. He's God who sees. 
and he's a God in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we get an opportunity to hear your word. Lord, I can't even begin to plumb the depths of the passage that was just preached. There's so much here, Father, that I could not speak of. So much here that you've written into your word, and how amazing is it that we could study your word for generations and still not fully plumb the depths of it, Father. How good are you to choose us when we didn't deserve it, Lord, to look upon our hearts and for whatever reason deem us as one of the people you've chosen. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us not try to earn salvation based on this potential that we think we can reach, Lord, but that we would appreciate the salvation we have and our works would flow from that. Lord, that our works would just be fruit on a tree that has been given the roots of salvation from you, Lord. And I thank you for that. I pray that as we enter in this time of community now, Lord, I pray for great conversations. I pray against just meaningless conversations. And I pray for ones that actually build us up, allow us to know one each other, grow us in community. And Lord, thank you for all the work done tonight to provide some food for us. I thank you for this ministry. I thank you for keeping everyone safe on their way here as well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.